Genesis 12. Genesis 12, we'll read 1 to 9, and then we're going to actually flip over to Genesis 17. So go ahead and open to, uh, to chapter 12, but if you are able, if you're so skilled, put your finger, it's only one page for me, maybe it's the same in your Bible, uh, in, in uh, the page where there's chapter 17, because we're going to read the, verse, the first 16 verses from that chapter as well. We're looking at Abram and Sarai who would become Abraham and Sarah, names that you might uh, recognize a little bit more. Uh, We'll read about that in these pages. So, would you stand with me? Isn't he like playing the trumpet somewhere? All right, here we go. You can follow on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. And at the end of all the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. And you can say thanks be to God. Let me read for us, beginning at chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So, Abram left. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Turn over to to chapter 17. And let's read first 16 verses of this. When Abram was 99 years old, by my math, 24 years had passed, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. 
For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, you, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Lots of ground here. Lots of ground here. Last week we, uh, we listened in. We kind of listened in on a, on a sermon. But we really listened in on the story of creation. I mean, this story itself, it, it preaches itself. We listened in on the story of creation as it proclaimed the good news, really. The gospel. And, and usually... We think of the gospel as Jesus died for my sins, and, and that's good news as well. But this was kind of pre-gospel gospel. This was good news of the God who creates all that is. The God who is, in so doing, has demonstrated to us that he is able to do more than we, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. That he is a God who is fully and wholly committed to his creation, to us. That's what this... This, uh, this, this creation is proclaiming that he's a God who even when his creation turns away from him and chooses their own path, continues to seek after them and to extend his grace to them. What a powerful proclamation. This is good news. In the beginning, as we said last week, God. In the beginning, God. And I'm sure that you did have some interesting questions or emerge in your growth groups this week about everything from order of creation to, you know, where the dinosaurs fit into all this and, and everything else that we think about when we think about the beginnings of time. But let's not forget that in the beginning, God and a particular kind of God was proclaim, being proclaimed to us through his creation. Well, the story continues this week, and once again, we find this God creating. It's, it's what he does. Evidently, this is a part of his character. This is a part of his nature. And we see God creating. It appears that he simply cannot help himself. This time it's not land or skies or seas. This time it's not the sun or the moon or the stars. It's not the birds or the, the, the animals, the fish that he's calling into being. But it's a new nation, a people a community of faith that God is creating, that He's calling into existence in these pages. This God, whose perfect communion with humanity had been broken by sin and, and disobedience, was not about to give up on the process. More good news. Though it had been broken by our sin, our disobedience, this God was not about to give up on the process, and these pages, these stories show to us the new directions 
in which God is moving. The new adaptations, in a sense, that God is making to continue his pursuit of his people. To continue his quest for relationship with his creation. This God who had revealed himself in the natural order would now reveal himself through a particular people. Through a a family of faith. And through this one nation, we're told, he would, in fact, reveal himself completely to the world. God's new creation. God's new master plan. And it's a master plan that, as we've read already in these moments, had a very humble, inauspicious beginning. But a very important beginning. Thomas and I, Thomas is my 10-year-old son. He's been wanting to do this for a couple of years. We drafted our first fantasy football team this year. Um, Don't worry, uh, we're not very good. But when we had our draft, if you, has anybody ever done this? Anybody ever participated in fantasy sports of any kind? All right, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, This is a, this is a type of of event or activity in which you get together with some friends and you, you pretend that you are like a, a general manager or an owner of a, of a sports team and you get together and you, you draft actual players and you get your own team and then based on how they do in the regular real games, you get their statistics and you kind of match your statistics up with the people that you drafted against the statistics of other people to determine the winner. Most of you are like, I've never heard of this and I don't ever care to hear any more about it. It's a little bit mathy, but not really. I guess it could be for some people, not me. Um, anyway, we drafted our, our first fantasy football team. And uh, Thomas had done some research. And when you go into a fantasy football draft, you don't draft the weaklings. You don't draft the the players who have underperformed in recent years. You look for the players who have the greatest promise. The the Adrian Petersons of the world, if that means anything to anybody. The Drew Brees. Can I get an amen from the Saints fan down here? All right. (laughs) These are the people that you're trying to get onto your team. Uh, not, I won't mention the names of those that you don't want to draft, but there are a whole lot of players that you don't want to get on your team either. And I'll just be honest, we got a smattering of both of these groups on our team, and we lost both of our games in week one of the NFL season. The point of this is this. If you were to start a nation, if, if starting a fantasy football team, you want to draft the, the all-stars, if you're going to start a nation, If you're going to start a people, a community of faith, what kind of people do you think that you would want to select? What kind of folks would you want to draft onto that team? You'd want the all-stars. You'd want the young. You'd want the strong. You'd want the energetic. If you were were trying to give birth to a nation, you would want, if I, hopefully this isn't too crude, but you would want the, the fertile. You would want the productive People in that nation. Am I right? It's not what God does. 
It's not what God does. Do you remember in the void, out of the nothingness, God created ex nihilo, out of nothing? God created out of nothing again. God creates. God chooses an elderly couple settled in their homeland, perhaps slowing down a bit in the rockers, kicking back, childless and with no likelihood. We're told earlier that Sarai was barren. No likelihood, no longer even any real desire of starting a family, perhaps at this point. These would be the parents of the new nation that God was birthing. These would be the ones on whom God's blessing would be poured out. These would be the ones through whom God would extend His grace to all the nations. The ones through whom He would work to restore His relationship with all of humanity. And do not miss this, folks. As we're jumping into the story, with the introduction and the call of Abram and Sarai, who would become Abraham and Sarah, the patriarch and the matriarch of the nation of Israel, we are also introduced to a key theme in all of Scripture that will be carried out and will show up again and again for as it was with them and will frequently be, it is not always the strongest or the smartest or the most beautiful or the most talented or the person with the strongest resume or the best references who gets chosen by God to accomplish the task that he has in mind to be accomplished. In fact, in his story, God often chooses the most ordinary of people. People like Abram and Sarah. People like you and me. For the task at hand. Don't forget it. Chapter 12 begins with the call of God simply and clearly enunciated to this aged couple. Do you see it? Do you see it? Really, it could be be captured in one word. Leave. Leave. That's the command. Leave from God to this aged couple. Leave. Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household. And go. Go where? To the land I will show you. Thank you very much. It's not helping. Chapter 11 ends. If you have your Bible, you can just kind of glance back at the end of chapter 11. It tells us that Abram and Sarah had settled with, with what family they had left in a place called Haran. Or Haran, or Haran, were told that they had intended to go on to the land of Canaan. I think that's really an interesting uh, little tidbit of information. They had intended to go on to the land of Canaan, but as so often is the case, oh, we got as far as Haran, Haran, it's not that bad. Let's just settle down here. Let's put down our roots here. This will, this will be good. But now, They had been called to leave this place. Again, pay careful attention to the invitation of God. I I mean, the fact that I would even call it an invitation is a little bit pushing it, right? Some invitation. Leave everything you know, all your comfort, all your security, all your normal, everything that's known to you. Leave this and, and abandon it, relinquish it, renounce it all and go to a place that I will tell you. 
to Maui? To the mountains? Now I'll let you know. I'll let you know, God says to them. To the land I will show you. I got to drive down to San Diego to Point Loma this week for a meeting, a quick one-day trip, and uh, got to leave about 5 in the morning and get back about, I don't know what time I got home, 7 or so, 8. Maybe it was 9, come to think of it. But on the way down, I'm, I'm, I'm deliberating. Which direction should I go? At this point of traffic, what do I fight the 405? Do I 101 it? Do I 5? What are my options? I'm thinking through it. My GPS is telling me different things, and you know I'm not really supposed to be looking at that while I'm driving anyway. And so I'm, I, I start, I'm thinking, well, I'll go 405, but when, once I get to 405, there's just this huge backup, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to sit in that. So I go 101 all the way, which... Of course, as you know, unbeknownst to me, I couldn't see the backup at that point, but it had its own down a little bit farther. So at 101, I make it to the five. Oh, you got other options for me, I understand. You direction experts, you guys can work on this with me later. But I finally get there, so on the way home, I'm thinking, well, I got burned on the 101. So I'm going 405, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So I get off and get at 405, and... And it starts to slow down, and I'm taking a little peek, you know, on my phone and the GPS, and I'm seeing red, 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 and these exclamation points. And I'm like, what do those exclamation points mean? And that means, like, there were four accidents on the 405. And it just took me forever to get there and to get back. Barely made it both directions. Uh, finally did. Go. Leave. I'm thinking, I didn't even really know where I, I, I knew where I was going, and I still had enough trouble. I knew the destination to which I was trying to get, but still the, the challenge of traveling and trying to make it there was a, a frustrating event for me. Just imagine if I don't even know the destination. I, I don't even ultimately know where I'm going. And you can tell by the rest of those verses that we read in chapter 12 uh, through uh, verses 5, maybe down to 9, we can tell and we can hear that, that in fact Abraham wandered around a bit. I don't know uh, about you. I, I, I don't know about Abraham. But I would have liked, for me, a little bit more information as to my itinerary in this, in this plan. I, I can kind of imagine at least what may have been running through Abraham's mind. You're asking me, God, to leave everything I've known, all the comforts of home, and go to a place that I don't even know where it is yet. You know I'm old, right? <laughs> You know I'm 75, and God says, yeah, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. But make no mistake about it, and let's make no mistake about it, this call also comes with a promise. Don't miss it. This call comes with a promise. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth. Do you hear this? All peoples on earth will be blessed because of you. And with these words, with this promise, it becomes clear that this part of the story is about much more than Abraham and Sarah's comfort. This is about much more than their security. It was about much more even than their sacrifice. It was about much more than their uncertainty. 
This story, as demonstrated in this blessing of God upon them, is about God's purposes in the world. This is about God doing something new in creation. This is about God transforming the nations. Now, I'm just convinced that God is still calling His people to leave the comforts of home. And I don't know how you need to hear this, and Trish alluded to this a little bit here this morning. I don't know exactly how you need to hear this, but I, I'm still confident that God is, in fact, calling His people to relinquish, to let go, to, to, to renounce what has been known even, and to set off into as yet unidentified adventures with Him. I mean, come on, people. This is how God has always operated. Why would He stop? Why would He do it differently in, in our day? Some of us, this speaks to us at two extremes, some of us think we have it all figured out. Some of us have been working hard. And we've kind of been dialing in our life. And we've been working on these details and that detail. We've been getting this plan figured out and that one over there. And we've got all the factors coming together. And life is aligning. Yes. God might want to say to you, leave. Leave that security. On the other side of things, there might be some of us here who are saying that God would never ask anything really of me. He would never send me out because I don't have anything to give. I really, I'm just, have, you know, look at me. I, I don't have much to offer. So where would God send me? How, how would God want to use me? How would God want to create something new through me? I'm confident that God still desires to use His people to bless His people, to bless the world through all of us as we set out in adventure with Him. Now, we have become known as a sending church. Uh, not a name that many of us really say with great joy because that often means that people leave us and we don't get to be around them very much anymore. But can we celebrate together, people, that we have folks from Coast Community Church this morning, all literally all around the globe, that have been sent out from this place in adventure with God to new places that maybe they didn't have any idea as to where God was sending them or where God might use them. And can we also celebrate this morning, my friends, that God can send us out, He can tell us to leave without actually telling us that we have to leave the city. There may be some comforts, some, some known quantities to you, some practices, some habits, some interactions, some relationships, some activities that God may be saying, leave, leave, and move into some new direction. Perhaps all of us, not perhaps, all of us need to have ears to hear what and to where God is calling us today. Mission fields all around to where God may be calling. Well, however little or much Abraham and Sarah understood at this point, or Abram and Sarah, their response opens the door for God's future to emerge. Their response is critical to the rest of the story 
of Abraham and Sarah. The first three words of verse 4 say it all. In response to God's call to leave, we read Abraham's, or the simple affirmation, so Abraham, or so Abram left. God says leave. The word says, so Abram left. No conversation. No, uh, no hesitation. No debate. Knowing clearly what he was leaving, but not knowing at all where he was going. Knowing what he had been promised, but not having any idea how that promise would be fulfilled, especially with a barren wife. You would have thought Abram would have a few questions. But not only was his invitation accepted, it was embraced. Abram hears the call. He believes the promise. No questions asked. No hesitation. And in so doing, I hope we hear this, in so doing and throughout this narrative, Abram becomes for us the prototype of faith. Abram becomes for us the the, the primary example, exhibit A of the, the, the person who is following faithfully after God. In response to the faithfulness of God, Abram sets the tone for all disciples who would forsake everything else, and follow hard after Jesus. Against all hope, we'll read later in this narrative. And if you haven't read it yet, I hope you'll read that either in the Bible or in your story. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. This was the kind of person through whom God could work. His story will reveal times when he isn't so faithful, right? Abram's story will reveal some times where his humanity is on display. He's caught in the, the, the world, and uh, there's times when he tries to take control, seems to forget the plans and promises of God, and yet he's a model of faith. He's a model of trust for all of us and for any of us who would follow after God. Abram and Sarai are not people either whose faith was not tested. And, uh, and again, just a wonderful example for us in this, in this, uh, in this way. You, you'll read, we, we read stories. This, was, this is going to be tested all along the way. A slave girl, Hagar, presents herself as another option for conceiving a child. The, the child that's born in that relationship, Ishmael, is kind of held up as, you know, what's wrong with him? Why, why can't he work? Sarah just keeps getting older and older, and faith is tested. No sign of bearing a child. When finally a child is born, Isaac, it's not very long after that until Abraham is asked by God to take him up on the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice a threat to his faith, a threat to his, the promise of God. Until God in that moment as Abraham passed the test, pulls that command away. The, the testing would continue for this family. I mean, we're not going to get into it today, but I mean, it doesn't get easier. Isaac... Rebecca, the whole thing with Jacob and Esau, their, their families, Jacob's 
decisions, his following of faith. I mean, their faithfulness was marked with great humanity, and yet they were faithful, and God continues to build his nation through them. Through all the tests of our lives, our invitation is to consider that response. What will be our response to the call of God? How are we answering the tests? I I thought about this in particular as I thought about those generations. Abraham was setting a course for his family that would come after him. His interactions with Isaac, his decisions about that, how that would move its way out onto Jacob, and on and on. We talked a a few weeks ago about... I read that, that email to you, and some of you remember the, the story of, of the family in the United Kingdom who, who in three generations, basically from grandparents to children to grandchildren, the, the legacy of faith had been lost. From, from, from a generation of grandparents who said, God means everything to us. Jesus is the one we will follow to to grandchildren who said, I'm not really interested in anything religious. And, and the, the recognition in that story that, that about three generations is maybe what it takes. And I asked some afterwards, I said, where do you think we are? What generation are you in? And I, I'd love for you to ask that question of yourself. Are you in a place where you're generation number one and you're setting the stage, you're setting the pattern for that generation that will come after you and hopefully uh, feed into the generation after them as well? Are you in a middle generation where where the faith has been passed to you but maybe it's starting to wane a little bit and you need to take that responsibility, that of faith, to pass on that faithfulness to the generation below you? Or are you maybe in a third generation where, where faith was at one time significant? But now it's kind of gotten to you through your family and it's waned. And you're needing to re-engage, to re-enliven the faith that God is calling you to. What's our response? Abraham had his response. He showed it beautifully. We too are invited to respond in faith. And it's this response of faith, this response of trust in the face of God's call that ultimately opens the door, as we read in chapter 17, for God to formalize His relationship with these people in the extension of His covenant faithfulness. Chapter 17 tells us of that relationship, this binding agreement, we dare not miss it, this binding agreement between God and Abraham that would be forever established. God, you hear it, God promises, again, affirms, seals the deal, not only to make Abraham the father of many nations, but he promises that he will be the God of his descendants for generations to come, and he affirms the promise of this land that would be theirs as well. These are themes that will be carried out in Scripture. For their part, those descendants born to Abraham would be circumcised as a sign of the covenant between he and God. He was making a decision, God and Abraham, for generations to come. This would be that mark that would identify these people as God's treasured possession, His chosen people. It would be the sign of the people's trust in God's promise. 
the seal of their commitment to him, and the physical demonstration of their entrance into relationship with God. I, I love to be a part of wedding ceremonies. I got to do it a couple weeks again with Stephanie and Daniel Holcomb. They're going to be here in October for a little reception. I got to be a part of that wedding reception or that wedding ceremony and what a joy it was. Because I, you know, One of the things I like about weddings is it's one of the few times in our day where we still hear the word covenant. We, we still, you still hear that word when you, when you usually go to a wedding. You hear talk of covenant. Two people committing themselves fully to one another. No matter what comes, these vows, these promises are made. No matter what comes, this commitment, this covenant is established in that wedding ceremony. Well, this is what God was establishing with Abraham and with all those who would come after him. And as Aaron read even this morning from Ephesians, this is the, this is the covenant this binding relationship that is extended even beyond the Hebrew people to every single one of us and to every nation in the world through the person, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of us here this morning just need to, just need to hear as God did to Abraham, God extending His covenant promise to you. Now it's not through circumcision necessarily, but it's through the circumcision of our hearts. The openness of our hearts to the presence and the love and the grace of Jesus. God's saying through your faith in my son, I promise to be your God. I promise to give all of who I am to you as you give to me all of who you are. As you give me your hearts. Call. Response. Covenant. God is once again creating. God is still creating. God once again starting something fresh. God still starting something fresh. God's plan to continue His quest for relationship with His people God's story unfolding, and even today, before our very eyes. May we hear His call. May we respond in faith. May we live in covenant relationship with this God today. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for the story of Abram. The one who would become Abraham, the father of many nations. This couple, Abraham and Sarah, who, though, whose lives sprinkled with moments of uncertainty and, and even doubt, never fully wavered in their faithful response to you. Thank you for their example. Thank you for their willingness. Thank you for their responsiveness to leave all and go with you to go with God into lands and days unknown. Thank you for the invitation that we hear through their example, God, to leave what is known, what is secure, whether we put a lot of stock in that or none at all, 
to trust you and walk confidently with you into the future that you have called us to. Or perhaps there are some of us that are just clinging to what's secure, knowing at the same time it's not what you have in mind for us, knowing that you're calling us to something more. May we be risk takers with you as your Holy Spirit guides us, O oh God. May we be faithful in our response, God, as your Holy Spirit strengthens us. May we, most of all and most significantly at every moment, live into, through the blood of Jesus, that covenant relationship, that commitment that you've made to us and our return response commitment to you. May we live in that covenant relationship, trusting in you, even now. God, speak to our hearts. We, we may need to respond as, as individuals at different levels and at different points to this story today. I pray that as you guide us again, that we would respond in ways that would be pleasing to you, glorifying to you, God, and that would build us up to be the people you've called us to be. We love you, and we respond to you in faith now. We pray all this in Jesus' name.